This is a Triple J podcast. Hack. Hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. In just a few days, we're going to know what Australia thinks of an Indigenous voice to Parliament. The referendum this weekend, millions of you have already voted. Political leaders, advocates, they're racing all over the country to try to win support on both sides. The polls are saying it's likely the country's going to vote no. So is it too late for the Yes campaign to win over Australians? We're going to be putting this question and a lot of other ones to the Yes campaign in this podcast, so keep listening. Later, Afghanistan's had its worst earthquake in decades. Thousands of people are dead and injured. So many more are in need of help. So what is stopping aid getting to them? Hack. It's permanent, it's divisive, and it's not properly understood. Is it all over for the Yes campaign? Not at all. On Triple Jack. Tens of thousands of volunteers are getting out across Australia right now doing everything they can to convince voters to write either yes or no on their referendum ballot this week. It all comes down to this final blitz. And even if you've somehow managed to avoid the discussion, the debate around the voice to parliament so far this year, it's almost impossible now. It's everywhere. And we've been bringing you all sides of this discussion on Hack, and we're going to keep doing that right through the week. In a bit, we're going to speak with the co-chair of the Yes campaign, Rachel Perkins, who's answering some of the biggest questions people have about The Voice and what it means. But first, Joe Lauder takes a look at what we've been hearing from the no sides. If you don't know how The Voice is going to work, Vote no. If you don't know, vote no, and it's okay if you do so. That's been the message that the no campaign has been hammering during the referendum campaign. I strongly advocate that people vote no because I happen to believe that we live in the best country in the world and one of the big reasons for that is our uh, founding document, uh, our nation's rule book, the constitution, and it shouldn't be changed lightly because you could change our whole system of government very easily with this new chapter in the Constitution. The Liberal Party leader, Peter Dutton, has been campaigning hard this week, outlining the reasons why the opposition is against the voice to Parliament. We don't want a new bureaucracy in Canberra. Uh, we want the detail before we vote for something. Instinctively, all Australians want to help Indigenous Australians, uh, but we don't want another Canberra-based bureaucracy. Uh, we don't want another layer uh, of red tape that's going to make it harder to help people in those communities. We don't want to see money diverted away from people who are most in need, particularly children in Indigenous communities. And I think there are many other reasons why uh, this is not going to be the panacea for Indigenous Australians. And I think uh, instinctively that's where millions of Australians, the majority of Australians, including now uh, four out of ten Labor voters who are voting against The Voice have landed. And he says there's a lack of information out there about how The Voice would work. As the Prime Minister's refused to provide the detail, don't vote for something that is uncertain, that's divisive, that's permanent. Another key campaigner for the no vote is Liberal Senator Jacinta Nubajimba-Price. It's effectively creating a class system, citizenship class system, based on uh, heritage in this country. And as far as I'm concerned, it is undemocratic. She thinks the referendum is dividing Australia and she's against giving First Nations people special status. It doesn't matter whether we were here 60,000 years ago or six months ago. You are Australian. It doesn't matter your racial heritage. And the problem with this divisive referendum is the fact that it seeks to create different levels of citizenship. And that it's not what the government should be focusing on right now. 
We can't wait to get past this referendum so we can focus on the issues that are really of concern to Australians, which is the cost of living going forward to improve the lives of everybody, because we have to remember the cost of living affects everybody, but particularly our most marginalised. But there's another cohort of people who are campaigning for a no vote, and they're progressives who think that the voice doesn't have enough power. First Nations actor Natasha Wonganine is one of them. How long have you seen Aboriginal people out on the streets telling you guys what we need, what we want? This, an advisory board that doesn't have to action anything, that's not what we want. We want action. We want you to action every single recommendation that we have said. For her and other advocates, they'd rather see a process that moves Australia towards having treaties. Aboriginal black rights has been hijacked with this campaign. There are two teams, like an AFL. Nobody cares what the players' personal opinions are. They just want to win the game by any means possible. That's the yes and the no campaign. But they're forgetting about the grassroots people in the middle that are not being heard. And sis, I I agree with you, things need to change, but the people that have been on these advisory panels for the last 30 years need to go. Independent Senator Lydia Thorpe also doesn't think the voice goes far enough. There won't be change until this society changes, until this society's thinking, values, attitudes and systems have been revolutionised in order to ensure real self-determination. We cannot continue the legacy of the Australian colony. Hack Triple J. Independent Senator Lydia Thorpe there ending Joe Lauder's look at those backing a no vote in the voice referendum. Look, a lot of points raised there. So let's put them to the Yes campaign. Rachel Perkins is an Australian filmmaker. She's an Arundhat and Kalkadoon woman, also co-chair of Yes 23, the Yes campaign. Rachel, thanks for speaking with us on Hack. Really happy to be here. Very simply... Why are you saying Australians should vote yes in this referendum? Well, there's just the overwhelming truth that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been here for 65,000 years, right? We believe that that should be recognised in the Australian constitution. So it's not about bringing race into the constitution. It's about recognising that there's this deep human experience that is one of the foundational aspects of what it means to be Australian today. It's part of our modern nation, right? So that's what we're saying. We're saying recognition of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people will take the form of the voice. And the function of the voice, it will be to advise Parliament on laws and policies that affect Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Because the government makes laws and policies about us all the time, but it often makes it them without us. And we think that they can do better and we can do better. It's like going to the doctor, right? When you go to the doctor, the doctor asks you, how are you feeling? What's your environment? And they use that information from you to make a better diagnosis. That is a really simple comparison for the voice. And that is the extent of it, right? That's the crazy thing in Australia at the moment. There's so much misinformation spreading around. And all this is, all this is, is a body representative of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, elected by Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, to give advice to Parliament. That's it. Why is it, do you think, that there is a lack of understanding just days out from the vote? I went to the hairdresser yesterday and the hairdresser says to me, so is it true that they're going to take a dollar out of our pay every week for The Voice? I'm like oh my God, where did you hear that? He said, someone told me, they said it's absolutely true. I said, no, that is not true. 
the misinformation that's flying around is just so potent. So <laughs> you can only do so much with advertising and with brochures and with door knocking. I mean, we're doing everything we can and people still, they don't know what it is. Do you think the Yes campaign failed in getting its message out there though? You know, if there's any criticism that can be made of our campaign, the Yes campaign, I don't think we were prepared for the amount of conspiracy theory that's coming out of the post-COVID age, distrust of government. Perhaps we were naive that we didn't know how low people would go. I think I take responsibility for that, for not understanding the depths people would go to in what should be a moment of unity for the country. Because, come on, the Constitution's been there for 122 years. It is time to recognise that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are part of this country in a significant way of being the first people. And all we are asking for is an advisory committee. An advisory committee. There's more than 110 advisory committees to the government. We're asking for one. And yes, we want it constitutionally enshrined. And why do we want it constitutionally enshrined? So it can't be gotten rid of because what we've seen, these advisory committees are stood up and then they're killed off. And then government changes and another one's created and then they kill that off. In my lifetime, we've had five and it means that policies change every five years. Oh, now we're going in this direction. Now we're going in that direction. Indigenous people want to pursue an agenda for the improvement of our people that lasts longer than the five-year electoral cycle. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese. I'm speaking with Rachel Perkins from the Yes campaign ahead of the referendum, which is coming up in just a few days' time. Rachel, I want to ask you some questions, some points that keep coming up from listeners. Maybe they're hearing it from the No campaign. Maybe they're seeing uh, these points in in other forums on social media. One of the biggest is that a lot of First Nations people don't want the voice. People are seeing these comments on their feeds, disputing the Yes campaign statement that the majority of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people support the voice. Do we actually know what most First Nations people want? Well, no one has gone around and asked every single Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander person what they want, obviously, because there's more than 800,000 of us. That would take a very long time. We have a very reliable source of polling that's been taken over a number of years by Reconciliation Australia, highly regarded organisation using very thorough research. And that polling, although it's not a huge sample, it tells us that over many years, Indigenous people, more than 80% support constitutional recognition of a voice. But if you want to dig deeper than that, look at our representative bodies. So we do have democratically elected grassroots representative bodies in the form of what we call land councils, and they exist around the country. The majority of those land councils support this proposal. And you find that most non-government Aboriginal organisations also support it in the health sector, in the legal sector, in the education sector, child welfare, you know, you have this huge groundswell of Aboriginal organisations that support the voice and you have these statistics to back it up. What more do people need? We've got a huge majority of Indigenous people. We've got the Uluru Statement, which had more than 250 representatives from right across the country. But people are seeing, you know, the occasional social media post of an Aboriginal person saying, I don't support it. You also see politicians like Jacinda Price and Lydia Thorpe not support it, but they are on the hard left and right. They are very much on the fringe. 
In the centre, there is a huge, overwhelming majority of Indigenous people support it. What about the argument that there isn't enough detail, specific detail about how the voice would work, how it would be structured? People saying, why would I vote on something when I, I fully don't understand the exact details of how it's going to work? What do you say to that? Uh, look, I totally understand people feeling like they don't have the detail, right? But look at where that commentary has come from. It's come from politicians, right? Now, politicians know that they will be responsible for shaping the detail of the voice. They know that it'll be up to the legislation to decide how many people sit on the voice, how long their terms are, where these people are drawn from. All of that comes in legislation. So, for example, the Constitution has two lines about the Defence Force. It doesn't say how many tanks there'll be, where the bases will be, how many jets, how many people are going to be in the Army, Navy. It just says, you know, there will be a defence force. All of that detail comes in legislation and it's important that it is not fixed in the Constitution. So at the moment, you know, the voice could be, say, 24 people drawn from 36 regions or something. But in the future, it might be 10 people because it will be fit for purpose of that time. That's the thing about legislation. It's designed to change and be amended as society changes, as the need for legislation changes. I mean, people also have questions around property rights, uh, about taxes, yes. about compensation. Yes. We hear that all the time. I happened to be in Adelaide and there was a no rally on. And so I went to just observe what they were saying. And one woman, uh, who I won't name, but was Indigenous, got up and said that people should go home and check their property, what do you call it, your t title deeds to your house. She said, because the voice will take is going to take over your, your homes. She also said that the voice would take over government. And, and no one batted an eyelid. And she got a big cheer at the end. And I just could not believe it because that is just blatant lies. It's just an advisory committee. And that is it. And I just, I just can't believe it, that something so modest, so incredibly modest, given all the history of this country and what's happened to people and what's... I can't believe that such a modest proposal is about to be killed off in one of the biggest fear and smear campaigns this country's ever seen. I mean, we thought the fear campaign over marriage equality was bad, right? Do you think this will be killed off? It is very tight. I mean, we... The yes vote is the underdog in this scenario. Everyone's talking about the polls. I think we can win it. I think we absolutely can win it because our campaign is now hitting its straps, right? Across but do Australia. you reckon that's too late? Well, people might have hardened their views, but a lot of people, there's a big undecided. You know, people have other things in their lives to worry about. A lot of people are just only turning their minds to it. This is Hack. I'm Dave Marchese speaking with Rachel Perkins, the co-chair of Yes23 in the lead up to the voice referendum. We've got a heap of messages coming through. Sean says, it looks like the Yes campaign needs a big swing. It's not impossible, but it's barely doable. Someone else, Will from Melbourne, no details on the voice make it impossible to decide. No one trusts the government anymore. They need to be more transparent. And someone else says, why are we voting for this? It should be in place without a vote. Rachel Perkins, I also want to put some of the arguments of what's being called the progressive no side to you. And the biggest is that the voice doesn't have enough power. That's what they're saying. I mean, you've just been saying it's just an advisory body. So if that is the case and it can't change anything by itself, what is the point of having it at all? That's what a lot of people are asking. 
Oh, I totally get that. And I respect the fact that people want more, right? But let me say two things. Firstly, constitutional enshrinement of the voice is important because it gives it two things that a legislated voice wouldn't have. So obviously we could legislate a voice any time, right? But we're asking for the voice to be constitutionally enshrined, put in the constitution. Why? Because if the Australian people vote for it in the majority, that will give it the respect that we've never had. You see, politicians, they respect the Australian voters. It's one of the few things they really respect because the voters get them in and out of power. So if the Australian people speak and say, we support this, then that gives the voice credibility and respect. The other thing is, if it's in the constitution, then that also gives it status that we've never had because it's part of our democracy then. And so you see constitutional enshrinement, although it's just an advisory body and the advice can be ignored by parliament, it gives it moral weight and politicians might just pay more attention to it. What about the argument that Australia should be focusing on treaties first rather than the voice? That's a valid concern as well. I mean, people have been calling for treaties since the 1970s, right? The thing is, what we've seen in Victoria is treaties take a long time to negotiate. In the last five years, they've now got to, in Victoria, having a representative body to begin negotiations, but that's taken five years, right? We've had a Conservative government in for, what, the last decade or something? Treaty was never on their agenda, so we couldn't progress treaty. We progressed constitutional recognition. The leadership did that. And now we are days away from doing that. Is it not the most ridiculous thing to say, whoa, 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 hang on, we're going to stop the process of constitutional recognition, even though we're five days away from it, and we're going to begin the treaty process. Like, treaty is going to take, if it happens, it's going to take at least 10 years, probably. It's going to have even a more intense no campaign, and we may not get there. And what happens in the meantime to communities who are struggling out there, to our people who are struggling? We're going to wait 10 years? No. What about the concerns that this could have an impact on First Nations sovereignty? Yeah, well, look, this was another thing that swirled around on the internet. And quite rightly, a lot of people, our people and, you know, supporters of our people were like, well, we don't want to take rights away from Indigenous people. However, it is not legally the truth that constitutional recognition undermines sovereignty for two reasons. The first is that sovereignty can only be transferred through agreement making, that is treaty making. The First Nations group and the state or the crown would have to reach an agreement to transfer sovereignty. The other way that sovereignty is transferred is through invasion and surrender. So the declaration of war and a process of surrender whereby a group gives up the sovereignty. Neither of those two things have happened or are happening under constitutional recognition. So it's just not legally correct to say that sovereignty will be ceded. And that advice comes from our most senior black lawyers in this country who are very clear on this matter. What's the one thing you want people to know when they go to vote on Saturday? What's the one thing you want in their head when they go to the ballot box? This is overdue. It is fair in the tradition of Australians and the principle of the fair go because it's about lifting up the First Nations people who are the most disadvantaged in this country and it is not risky and it will bring our country together in a way that we have never been united. People are saying we are divided. Well, our country is divided right now because the first people live in third world conditions, a huge percentage of us. This can be the most unifying moment of our nation 
To say yes is about hope and unity. To say no means that you accept the status quo. We're already in the no. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are at the bottom of the social level in this country. It's gone on for generations. It's got to change. And we think this is a way to change it. Rachel, your dad, Dr Charlie Perkins, was one of Australia's leading civil rights activists, the first Aboriginal man to graduate from Sydney University. He was out there leading the Yes campaign in the 1967 referendum. In your opinion, where does this moment in time, right now, compare in the history of the Indigenous rights movement in Australia? Well, it is, this is a watershed moment. I mean, I'm 53. I've lived through a lot of the big shifts in this country and this is the biggest in my lifetime and it will never come again. This is about Australia deciding how they feel about the history of their country and the place of Indigenous people in it and that is profoundly important not only to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people but it's profoundly important to everyday Australians because it's about the identity of this country. And the world will be watching. The world will be watching. And I won't be alive to see this moment again. Noel Pearson describes it as um, Haley's Comet passing through the sky. You know, it comes around once in a lifetime. And I worry. I am deeply worried. It will be a no, and I don't know where we go to from then. I mean, I think you have to ask the no case <laughs> because they're the ones saying no and they're not presenting any solutions. But I think it can be one. And I think Australians, particularly young Australians, have a sense of justice and I don't think they're scared. I put my confidence in that generation that they're going to move this country forward because really this is about their country. They are the people inheriting this country, not us. We're the old generation. We're going. It's about them and their future. And I think we will win, but I think it's going to be down to the line. We'll know very, very soon. Rachel Perkins from Yes23, thank you very much for joining us on Hack. Thank you for the space to talk about it. I should say as well, Hack has asked to speak with some of the big no campaigners this week, including opposition leader Peter Dutton, Warren Mundine, Senator Jacinta Numbajimba Price, as well as some of those on the progressive no side. They haven't been available, but we're going to keep these chats going through the week. We'll keep hearing different perspectives. On the text line, someone says the no vote isn't going to win the referendum. The yes vote is going to lose it. Somebody else says, I was told that stolen generations were going to get $100,000. The rumours are unreal. And then Someone else says, yeah, there should be laws about misinformation in campaigns. James from the Gold Coast says, I want to know if the no vote wins, will we get another chance at a referendum or will this be all swept under the rug? Well, that's the kind of question that we want to ask political leaders. So we're hoping to have some of those leaders on this week. And someone else says, if you guys are doing these voice stories all week, you need to share mental health lines. One three yarn's a good one for mob. Exactly. One three yarn is there, so that's one three ninety two seventy six or lifeline, of course, thirteen eleven fourteen. Hack. More than two thousand people are now confirmed dead as the search for survivors continues. On Triple J. Well, look, there's been so much news around this week. The war in the Middle East that we've been covering as well as the final days of the voice referendum, as we've just heard about. But there's been another major news story that you might not heard much about this week. According to the Taliban, at least 2,000 people have been killed in Afghanistan in an earthquake over the weekend. Thousands are also injured. 
It's being described as one of the deadliest earthquakes in the country in two decades, and charities are saying help is just not coming fast enough. April McLennan has more. Clamouring over rocks and rubble, Afghans are digging out the dead and injured with shovels in their bare hands. This is the moment rescuers find the dust-covered face of a child peering out from underneath the rubble. As they lift the rocks away, you can see the mother's arm still wrapped around the toddler. The child is then pulled from the rubble. She's one of the survivors of a 6.3 magnitude earthquake and several aftershocks that struck Afghanistan over the weekend. The epicentre was about 35 kilometres northwest of Herat. It's a city near the country's border with Iran. I was inside my shop when the shaking started and I told all my co-workers to quickly get outside and we ran for our lives. There was chaos and panic. Everyone was just trying to save themselves. Houses made of mud brick came crashing down. Nearly 2,000 homes in 20 villages were destroyed and hundreds of people have been buried under the debris. I've lost nine members of my family. My father was killed and all my children. Thousands of people have been killed, but despite this, charities say help isn't coming fast enough, with survivors struggling to find things like food, water, medicine, clothes and shelter. Afghanistan's health system almost entirely relies on foreign aid. And Ala Abu Zaid from the World Health Organization says they need help urgently. We have been watching the news uh, diverted to what's going on in the Middle East over the past two days. And there was very little attention to the event in Afghanistan. Attention means uh, funding as well, diversion of funding to other competing priorities with Afghanistan. Unfortunately, this country has been uh, in need of foreign aid for many years. Neighbouring countries like Pakistan and Iran have offered to send rescue workers and humanitarian aid, and China's Red Cross Society offered cash relief. But a lot of countries won't send aid directly to the Taliban government because of its restrictions on women. The Taliban takeover sent the country into an economic and humanitarian crisis, and these sorts of natural disasters are making it even worse for the people who live there. Ala Abu Zaid says the situation is bad. There are people sitting there without shelter. They are afraid, they are scared, even if they have partially damaged houses, they are scared to enter these houses. We have mild cases who receive treatment and should go back home, but unfortunately they do not have, as they told me yesterday in my visit to the hospital yesterday, they don't have home to, re to go back to. People have been sitting out the front of the local hospital while they're still hooked up to drips. This doctor says their facilities are really overrun. The injured have been getting treatment, but unfortunately, we're still receiving many more people from the epicentre and surrounding districts. A spokesperson for Afghanistan's Ministry of Defence Management says they're doing the best they can to help the injured and displaced. We've tried our best to treat the victims. Ten rescue teams have been formed from different national and international institutions, in addition to the evacuation and rescue operation in the area. Villages have already begun burying the dead, but with more help needed on the ground, there's fears the death toll will continue to rise. 13 members of my family are injured. They need urgent support. You can see the situation here. 
Many people have been martyred and in some places the entire family is dead. We are so worried and we need help. Hack on Triple J. April McLennan with that update. Horrible scenes that we're seeing out of Afghanistan. We'll keep you across it in the weeks ahead. There's definitely a huge recovery process ahead. Still getting a lot of messages through on the chat that we had just a bit earlier with Rachel Perkins from the Yes23 campaign. Someone says, wow, what a brilliant speaker. Why have I only just heard Rachel Perkins speak? I'm now a solid yes. But then someone else says, no, nah, I stand behind Jacinta Price. I'm voting no. Another person says, yeah, I do think that the voice will divide the community. Someone else says constitutional recognition could just be recognition without the bureaucracy. It leads to the risk of unknown costs and unknown effects. The government could legislate right now without the need for any of this. Well, look, you heard Rachel Perkins' view on why uh, it should be enshrined in the Constitution. The Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, just in the past few days has ruled out legislating if it is a no vote on the weekend. So he's kind of already said that. And someone else says Albo should have shown leadership here. Failure will smear him for losing and for his lack of leadership. And that person says, by the way, I will be voting yes. So look, there are so many different opinions on the text line. We're hearing all sides here and we're going to keep talking about this in you know the days ahead before the referendum. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you next time. Hack on Triple Jack.